Wasn't that a great song we just sang? To declare that he is God. Wasn't that just, just kind of stirs your soul? I want to say this to you. Happy, uh, happy anniversary, America. How about that? Yeah, are you guys excited about that? Uh, I can tell you're just overwhelmingly excited. It's like, woohoo! Uh, we're having a parade in Wimberley. Did you know that? Last year, I got to be in the 4th of July parade. and It was just like, Okay, okay, this has got to be like hometown hokey, blah, blah, blah. And it was, but it was awesome. And so this year we're going to do it. And we've gone like big time with the float. And I think we need some help stuffing stuff at 9 o'clock at the school parking lot. Or here, right here, 9 o'clock. Help us finish the parade on 4th of July. So if you can do that, come help us with the float. So that's going to be awesome. Also, I need to say to my Canadian friends who are watching online that uh, it's uh, Happy Can Canadian Day, a Canada Canadian. Happy Canada Day. It's uh, July 1st is their national celebration, and they're very excited that uh, in 1876, they signed a document that got them their independence from Britain. In 1776, we bled the ground red to win our freedom. But anyway, happy Canada Day, Canada. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so when I was in uh, Canada, I was there after being there for three years. The minister of immigration approached me. He was a friend of mine. He said, hey, because um, our church was doing some cool things with immigration, but I'll tell you that another time. He said, hey, you've been here three years. You could become a Canadian citizen, eh? And, and I went, really? And he goes, yeah. He said, and I said, well, you know, do I have to give up my U.S. citizen? Oh, no, no. We, we'll have dual citizenship. I went, oh, okay. So what does that mean? He says, well, you have to take a test on Canadian history, don't you know? I went, okay. And then he said, and then you you have to pass that test. I said, okay, I think I could do that. And then you'll have to pledge allegiance to the queen. Time out. <laughs> my great, 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 great grandfather was a colonel in the Revolutionary Army. I don't think I'm going to be signing any document pledging allegiance to the queen. So I made this big stance politically that I talked to my brother, uh, David, who's a history professor, and he goes, yeah, I know. I appreciate, Scott, you saying you're not because you know, of our ancestry, but you need to know the Weatherfords also were loyalists, and they got kicked out of the country and had to move to, bah the, to the Bahamas because they didn't support they did support the king. And I said, now you tell me. I could have done this without compromise. But anyway, I don't know why I told you that. Happy anniversary, America. And may we continue to be the land of the free and the home of the brave. So good stuff. So this morning, we're going to start a new series. We've been in this series about the church. Actually, we've been in a series all year about hope, personal hope, relational hope, and now hope for the church. Why did God put the church here? What is our purpose? What is our calling? What are we supposed to be? The last four weeks, we talked about the hope of rec reconciliation, being made right with God, being made right with each other, and then to be about making things right. Now we're turning our attention to the next four weeks to perhaps maybe the most important series of messages that I will preach in the month of, of July because it's the only messages I'll preach in the month of July. That was supposed to be funny. You guys missed it. But it's, it's so important as we look at what does God want us to be. And hope is an acrostic for help the oppressed and plead for the exploited. H-O-P. Help oppressed plead for the exploited. And what is God's view of social injustice? Now, I've taught around this a lot, 
but I'm not taught to you in particular what does God want us to know and then what does God want us to be. So this is the next four weeks. If you can't be here, join us online. Don't miss any of these talks because I believe it's going to shape our future. God is up to big things in us. Uh, our, our, our influence is being spread throughout literally the world. So we want to be a part of what God is doing. So let me just start this talk with this today. Now I'm excited and I'm stretched at the same time. I'm excited that we're going to lean into this. I'm stretched because I believe that this is, this is going to require lots of effort on my part and on our part. But my prayer is that we will become more intentional to leaning into the things that God cares about and spreading the gospel to the whole world and being intentional and rescuing the marginalized as well. And today we're going to focus on compassion, the compassion of God. Now, some of you grew up where God was just mad, that if you didn't do something right, God's thump you on the head. He's just mad. And you grew up in that kind of church where it was hellfire and brimstone and, you know, God's going to burn you up. I know my pastor every Sunday said, you're going, you walk out this door and you get hit by a bus and where are you going to spend eternity? And it bothered me because in my little town there, there were no buses. <laughs> the devil bus was going to come and hit me. It was just kind of confusing. But we don't see that God is compassionate. We don't view him that way. I want you to look at this passage. In fact, I want you to read this passage with me. Can you guys read out loud? Can y'all do that? Okay, that's five of you. That's great. Great Wimberley ISD education. Here we go. Let's read together. Father to the fatherless, defender of widows. This is God whose dwelling is holy. God places the lonely into families. He sets the prisoners free and gives them, what does he give them? joy. C.S. Lewis, the great theologian of the last century said this, joy is the serious business of heaven. But oftentimes we don't equate God with joy. We equate God with judgment or, or vengeance. And next week we're going to be talking about God's justice and how justice is mixed with his compassion. God describes himself as a rescuer. He's a rescuer and a defender. He's the God of compassion. And this, this thought of God being so compassionate, compassionate was totally counterculture to the, the people of that day. The people of that day, their gods, especially the Greek Roman gods, they were gods that you had to bribe and they were only accessible to the rich and powerful. That the everyday person, you better stay in line or the God is going to come thump you on the head. Even the Hebrew belief system was, was racked with that. The Egyptians believed that. The Assyrians believed that. The Canaanites believed that God, their gods were gods of vengeance. And God comes along and says, no, I'm the defender. I'm the rescuer. I'm the one who does these things for you. See, God leans in to the plight of the broken. He leans in. Now, I use that phrase, leans in, quite a bit. And the reason I do it is because I learned it from a great theological beast called my dog, Jed. Jed was a golden retriever, 110 pounds in love. And uh, I love that dog. And when he passed away, it was a, wo a wo woeful day. But Jed, when he, when he greeted you, and he greeted everybody because he believed he was put on this earth for it to be petted. And he would greet you and he would lean on you. And when you stop petting him, he would take his nose and get you to pet him some more. And so I want you to lean on this because God's leaning into you just like Jed would. 
leaning on you to get your attention. Why? Because we're all broken. And God's leaning into the plight of the broken. I want you to turn to your neighbor right now and look at them. Look them dead square in the eye and say, you are broken. And I've got good news for you. We have a God who's a rescuer. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for what you want to say to us this morning. And I pray that you will speak through me. That it will not be my words or my thoughts, but your truth that brings us to understanding how you want us to live all for you. So thank you, Jesus, for what you're going to do in and for and through us this morning. And I pray this in your strong name. Amen. Now, I invite you to take your take the weekend with you notes there in your bulletin. Take those out. Has an outline of this talk today. Also, remind you that online, like we do in every other series, we provided resources for you. Uh, group resources, you can take them and watch them in your Sunday school class. You could, you could gather with a few people at a coffee shop or wherever or in your home and use this material to continue the conversation, to take the weekend with you as we look at God, the God of compassion, the God of justice, uh, God's response, and then our response to God, God's solution and our response to God as we lead into hope. Here's the first thing I want you to gather, that God is compassionate. God is God compassion. The compassion of God is best described as his justice out of his merciful love. God's justice out of a merciful love. Everything God does is out of love and compassion. Everything God does is out of love and compassion. Even when it seems harsh to you, even when it seems trials to you, God's doing this out of love for you. Love for you. I remember I'd get in trouble as a kid. My daddy would discipline me. He said, now, son, I want to tell you, this hurts me more than it hurts you. No, it didn't. But I understand it now as a father and as a grandfather, it wounds my heart to have to discipline. But I have to discipline. Yesterday, we were at a, a, a famous shop down in New Braunfels called Target. We were there. And uh, Ivy was there. My little three-year-old was there with me. And uh, she says, Papa, can we go find some Elsa stuff? Now, you guys know who Elsa is, right, from Frozen? If you don't, just let it go. It'll be all right. <laughs> but she said, and so I, I'm off with her to find some Elsa stuff. And we were talking about her getting in trouble with her daddy. And she said, Papa, will you ever, will you ever spank me? I said, no. Papa's never going to spank you. What does Papa say to Ivy? She says, Papa says, yes. And my daughter, who's been a little conflicted about my indulgence over her child, she said, Dad, I, I listened to something the other day. The psychologist said, you should let grandparents do whatever they want to to spoil your kids. If it means candy or gifts or whatever, you might as well because they're going to do that and you might as well be okay with that. I said, hey, man, finally, you're listening to good counsel. <laughs> Everything I do for Ivy or Lily is based on my compassion for them because I'm their papa. I love them. I want to say the same thing for my kids because I love them. They're my children. Am I perfect at this? No. I want to say this for you. Everything I do for you is out of love and compassion. Am I perfect at this? No. But God is perfect at this. And he has this compassion for us, this love for us. He knows you by name. He knows the number of hairs on your head. He knows that, that's easy for me, but he was, 
He knows your days before there was one of them. And God motivates out of love for you. There's a Hebrew word. I'm going to try to pronounce it. I'm probably going to mess it up. Cheshda. It means this. And it's a word. The Hebrews were trying to describe God. And there's no way to describe him. He's too complex. There's no words that you could speak that even begin to describe God. He's just too complex. And this word, it means unconditional grace and compassion. What is the word unconditional means. It means this. It means no matter what. It's not based on you. It's not based on your behavior. It's not based on your intellect or your education. It's not based on your team's devotion. He's unconditionally full of grace. And grace is something you don't deserve and his compassion. God has unconditional compassion. Now, some of y'all grew up in churches that that wasn't taught. You're going, what? It's true. God is compassionate, full of unconditional grace, merit we don't deserve, and compassion that flows out of his grace. Now, there's Old Testament truths that talk about this. Now, some people think, well, in the Old Testament, God was mad. And in the New Testament, Jesus was soft. But I'll say something to you. God has not changed. He's the same God in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. And Jesus is the incarnate God. Jesus is not the watered down, soft version of God. He is fully God. Uh, when I, back when I was studying voice opera, that I had the opportunity to sing an oratorio uh, about the prophet Elijah. And a part of the, I got to sing an aria from that oratorio about God. And it, it, said, it, it went like this. For God is angry, angry with the wicked every day. For God is angry with the wicked every day. Some of y'all grew up thinking that. God's just mad at y'all. Thank you very much. I'll be here all week. God, God is not angry with you. He's full of compassion for you. Listen to what the writer of the psalm says. He gives justice to the press and food to the hungry. The Lord frees the prisoner and he opens the eyes of the blind and lifts up those who are weighed down. The Lord loves the godly. The Lord protects the foreigner among us. He cares for the orphans and the widows, but he frustrates the plans of the wicked. For the Lord your God is the God of gods, the Lord of lords. He's the great God almighty, the awesome God who shows no partiality and cannot be bribed. He ensures that orphans and widows receive justice. He shows love to foreigners living among you and gives them food and clothing. To the foreigners living among you? Really? In this age of immigration discussion, he cares about them? I was reading this passage this week and thought about orphans and widows and realizing this, that there's a local church who leaned into the nation of Rwanda. And Rwanda, it's a nation in Africa, in 1994, they had a genociding of a certain people group where one million people were killed. They were hacked to death with machetes. And corpses were, a corpse were laying all over the country of Rwanda to rot. It was a mess. The world ignored it. 
And then the president of Rwanda led, the current president led an insurrection, overthrew the government and established a, a, a legal rightful ruling government. And he went to a pastor of a local church in the United States, in California. He said, will you come help us? He said, I'm just a church. I'm just a pastor. What can I do? And the president of Rwanda said, your Bible says you're the hope of the world. And this church, over the next 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, has leaned into that country. And this is what's happened. One local church. They've lifted a million people out of poverty. There are no more orphanages because the orphans now live in families. There's more HIV AIDS cases in the state of Maryland there are in the country of Rwanda. I have a friend of mine, Eric Munyamondo. He's a, they don't call it Rwanda, they call it Rwanda. He's from Rwanda. And he says, Pastor Scott, you're the lion of Africa. That's what he calls me for some reason. And, and Eric says, the local church is the hope of the world. And what this local church did, they partnered with other local churches and governments, and they flipped a country all for Jesus. A country. Y'all, that's the church in California. What if God got a hold of a church in Texas? Change a continent. All for Jesus. Because God is compassionate. I will rejoice in the Lord, and he was glad when he rescues me. The Lord who can compare with you. Who else rescues the helpless and the poor from those who rob them. This is what the Lord says. Don't let the wise boast in their wisdom or the powerful boast in their power or the rich boast in their riches. But those who wish to boast should boast in this alone, that they know me and understand I am the Lord who demonstrates unfailing love, who brings justice and righteousness to the earth. And I delight in these things. I, the Lord, have spoken. Boom. I added the boom. A passage of scripture that we're going to use a little later. I wanted to get t-shirts made that said this so you could, you could wear it. Love, jur- love justice, seek mercy, walk humbly with your God. Micah 6.8. That's what God wants for us because he is the God of compassion. The incarnate God, Jesus Christ, was compassion on display. A few years ago, I did a podcast with, with a pastor and we were talking about preaching for life change, helping people understand and, and, and be changed by the power of the spoken word of teaching. And we talked about incarnational preaching. And this is what I said on that podcast. I'll say it to you today. That incarnational preaching is basically this, cracking open your chest and letting people see inside of your heart. Over the last year, that's what I've been trying to do for y'all. I'm not... Perfect. Would y'all agree with that? Amber, don't say too much. She's my assistant. Amen. She's over there. Amen. But I am the great snake slayer of Saddleback Serpents. We were hosting this dinner for pastors in Saddleback, and a rattlesnake appeared, and, I, and the Lord called him home. That's what happened. Now, I'd probably get arrested for killing a snake in California, but it's Texas, and we kill snakes, right? Can I get an amen? All right. Cracking open your chest and letting people see. This is exactly what Jesus did. 
And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. Glory is the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus revealed the heart of God. And he was compassion on display. Fully God, yet fully man. Let me give you some examples of how Jesus displayed compassion. In Matthew chapter 9, Jesus encounters two blind guys. And they're calling out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on us. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on us. And the Bible says, Jesus, filled with compassion, stopped and said to them, what do you want me to do for you? They're blind. Hello. Don't take Jesus to figure that out. They want to see. But you know their biggest problem? was not physical blindness, it was spiritual blindness. So Jesus had compassion on them and healed them of both. Of both. In Mark chapter, chapter one, Jesus is confronted by a guy with leprosy. Let me read for you. A man with leprosy came and knelt in front of Jesus, begging to be healed. If you're willing, you can heal me and make me clean. And he said, and move with compassion, move with compassion. Jesus reached out and touched him. What? Jesus touched a leper? Didn't Jesus know that to touch a leper means you could get leprosy? Do you know what leprosy is? Leprosy is when you lose the feelings in your extremities. And then when you get a minor wound, it festers and infects. And you lose your fingers, you lose your toes, you lose your ears, you lose your nose. You die a slow death of just neurosis of things being eaten away. Didn't Jesus know if you touched a leper, you'd get leprosy? But Jesus, moved with compassion, touched him. Why did he touch him? Because lepers weren't allowed to live in community. They couldn't go to synagogue. They couldn't live with their family. They had to live in isolation. And they nobody ever touched a leper. And do you know you need 10 hugs a day just for good mental health? If you don't touch a baby, babies will die. And Jesus touched him because our God does the unthinkable. And he said, I am willing, I am willing, be healed. And instantly the leprosy was gone. Now the custom of that day was you touched a leper, you had to live in seclusion to make sure you didn't get leprosy as well. So the Bible says Jesus retreated from them for seven days to show that he was cleansed. All right, now get this. If Jesus got leprosy, he healed himself. But Jesus, knowing the custom, knowing he was fully God and fully man, subjugated himself to human law and regulation. He forgave a woman caught in adultery. In John chapter 8, this, they bring this woman before him and they said, Jesus, this woman was caught in the very act of adultery. Where was the dude? This was so misogynistic. Where was the man? You see, what they'd done is they'd set this woman up. She was probably a prostitute. And before you judge prostitution, let me say something to you. Less than 2% of women who are involved in the sex industry want to be there. They're forced in there. By overbearing pimps or men through addiction and through manipulation, they sell themselves. Before you judge a prostitute, one of the things, I've got to chase this rabbit a second. I haven't talked about this. And one of the things we did in Canada 
is that we approached our government, our church, about changing the law to persecute and prosecute the Johns and not the prostitutes. And through the influence of our church and other churches, the Canadian law changed where women in prostitution were brought into recovery and help and men who were soliciting prostitutes went to jail. A little old church did that. All for Jesus. And Jesus said to the woman, go and sit no more. Should he give it her a lecture? Here's 10 steps to quit your prostitution. No. Mary Magdalene from Magdala, we went to Israel, we went to Mary's hometown that was destroyed by the Romans in 69 AD. They're recovering it and rediscovering it. Mary Magdala, who was a prostitute, was one of the first people to see Jesus resurrected from the grave. What? Yeah. Another prostitute. Now, did Jesus have something going on with prostitutes? Yeah, he did. Called his compassion and his love. Compassion and love. I didn't say this in the other service, but I will say this. My wife, Tara, while we were living in Canada, she had a ministry to prostitutes. One day we were in, in a group of people. She goes, well, today I spent some time with a prostitute. And I said, okay, I want to clarify that, okay? <laughs> she has a ministry to prostitutes because they matter to God. And they would come into our family and we'd help them, rescue them. One day Jesus was at a dinner and a prostitute came and was so glad that she'd been healed and, and, and rescued by Jesus. She wet her, his feet with her tears and washed his feet with her hair. Had Jesus been married, Mama Jesus would have killed him. But he had compassion and love. You see, Jesus loves people on the margins of society. Next time you see a homeless dude in Austin, instead of judging him, why don't you see him like Jesus does? Instead of yelling, get a job, which they need to, why not pray for their salvation? Pray for, pray for your heart. And see, Jesus loves you. I heard someone say the other day, we are one bad decision away from being homeless. All of us. Whew. And Jesus loves us. But God showed his great love for us, sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. When we lose the entitlement and lose the judgment, God will use us. You see, the church is to be God's compassion on display in the world today. We're to be the display. I've said this to you many times, but your view of Jesus shapes your view of the church, which shapes your view of our mission in the world. That if you think the church is about you, that you got it wrong. If you think the church is to be a social club that just doesn't have a golf course, you're wrong. I was talking to a dear pastor friend of mine. We're going to take him to advance training this summer, or this, this fall rather. He told me, he said, I got fired from a church one time. And when they gave me my last paycheck, 
They said, don't you understand? We didn't want somebody to come in here and lead us. We just wanted somebody to preach us good sermons and make sure we were visited when we were sick. That's not a church, my friend. That's anathema. That's wrong. We are to be the hope of the world. At Caesarea Philippi, Jesus turns to Peter after Peter confesses, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. He says this, and now I say to you, you are Peter, which means small stone, rock, and upon this rock, pointing to himself. You see, Jesus was a builder, a tecton, and he built big things. And the building practice of that day was, was made famous by King Herod the Great. And what King Herod the Great would do would take a large stone, sometimes 400 and 500 tons, and then surround it by small stones. And Jesus says, I am the big stone. You are the small stones. And upon this rock, I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. All the powers of hell will not conquer it. Before I read on, I want to tell you this. A thousand years from now, there probably won't be Apple iPhones or the Apple company. There probably won't be American Airlines, Delta Airlines, United Airlines, Southwest Airlines, Canadian. There probably won't be any of those. Probably some other kind of form of travel. Uh, there probably won't be a Microsoft. Now, this is going to hurt your head right now. There may not even be an America, United States. But I want to tell you one thing there will be the church. There'll be a church. For 2,000 years, emperors, rulers, despots, dictators, evil bellicose men have tried to end the church, and it's not going to work. Why? Because Jesus built the church, and Jesus builds the church. Jesus maintains the church, and Jesus will keep the church until Jesus comes back for the church. We will stand against time. I'm going to go on a little bit later and tell you about some of the authority that he's given us because we are the church. And I will build my church and I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven. And whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. And some people think, Peter's got the keys to the church. No, he doesn't. The church has the keys to the church. And what we permit and what we forbid, God has given us the power to be decision makers, to join him in the movement. But our theology may be, may, should be crystal clear in King Jesus and our methodology be filled with his compassion. With his compassion. In 1975, my daddy reached into his pocket and he tossed me the keys to a 1966 Dodge Monaco with the 383 four-barrel Hemi engine in it. He gave me the keys to the Monaco. And he says, I forbid you to drive fast and I permit you to take yourself to school. But what I did is I drove fast. I could outrun everything in town, including the law. One afternoon, there was a hill coming up to my house. I kicked that four barrel, hit me in and it just roared like a mighty lion under the hood. And I, like a, like a griffin springing from its mythological perch. I launched up that hill about 120 miles an hour when the lawman came the other way. I just punched it and outran him. Circled by around, went to my house, parked my car, and thought, yeah, 
I could be the Dukes of Hazard right now. Until I was in the backyard talking to my daddy and the lawman walked around the side of my house. He happened to be my daddy's buddy, Lonnie. And dad said, Lonnie, what are you doing here? He said, well, you might want to ask your son how fast he is driving up that hill. And my daddy looked at me and I said, I don't know what he's talking about. And he said to Lonnie, he said, Lonnie, you can go on. I'll take it from here. And I tell you what, I'd rather fall into the hand of the long arm of the law than the short reach of my daddy. <laughs> he took the keys of the Monaco away from me. But God has given us the authority. And it's better than a 383 four-barrel Hemi. It's the power and the authority. Jesus said, I promise I will build my church. Listen to me. I'm going to read this to you. I wrote this down. I believe it's even on our screen. Built on the rock of Jesus. We stand on the past 133 years. We press into the future. We have an opportunity to go beyond more than we can ask or think. Let's not pass with a whimper, but roar with the lion of Judah. They got one amen. I'm going to read it again. <laughs> Built on the rock of Jesus, we stand on the past 133 years. We press into the future. We have an opportunity to go beyond more than we can ask or think. Let's not pass with a whimper, but let's roar with the lion of Judah. Amen. That is so much better. Folks, we are built by God to join him in the depopulation of hell. We are built by God to show his compassion, to rescue the marginalized, to be aggressive, not passive, to see and see spiritual opportunities, to move in faith and conviction, not in comfort and convenience. We are the church of Jesus Christ. We are the hope of the world. We are God's compassion on display. He's given us the authority. We've been given the keys to the kingdom. He gives us the go to permit and to forbid. We've given us permission and his presence. He's given us his provision. Listen to me. Listen to me. In the very near future, we're going to need to expand our facilities here on this gorgeous 32 acres God has provided for us. Why? Because we do not have enough room for our kids and our students. And we need to build space. And some of y'all going, oh, we're going to do a building program. And you're saying, we can't take that risk. We can't spend that money. We can't get into debt. Oh, my. You don't understand the culture of our church. This is Texas. This church is everywhere. Why do we have to build anything? I just want to be safe. I want to sing my songs. I want to hear a good sermon. I want to go home. I want to get a nap. I want you to leave me alone. Really? Really? I was reading this morning in the book of Psalm that we're at breath. We're here and gone. We have one opportunity. I love Jesus Christ, and I want to spend my life living all for him and leading this church to live for all for him. Let's go. Amen. We have his promise. He says, I will, and his commitment to us, commitments define your life. What are you committed to? What are you committed to? We have his power. We make heaven reality. We can bring God's peace. We can make Jesus famous on all the earth. We need 50 of you. 
50 of you to step up and say, I'm going to lead a group this fall. Why? Because people in the Wimberley Valley need to be connected with the group. They need to hear about Jesus. Will you be one of the 50? At the end of this message, Scott's going to give you instruction about what does it mean to be one of the 50. Next weekend, we're going to train the 50 on how to lead a group. Will you be one of the 50? Step up and make a difference in Wimberley to be a people of rescue, to restore, to bring things back into order. I want to give you two more Hebrew words. Misfah, to bring rectifying justice. And this word I can't even begin to pronounce. To zagya, to behave in such a way that rectifying justice is not necessary. That we be those kind of people that bring rectifying justice and we act in such a way that rectifying justice is not needed. This is to reveal the glory of Jesus. To forbid the lack of faith, to forbid the lack of courage, and to allow hope, to allow hope to bloom. One of my responsibilities before I came to you, actually it's been something I've been doing since 1997, is coaching and equipping and helping pastors and churches. When you guys called me to be your pastor, the team knew that that was part of who I am. That's part of who we are now. While we were at Saddleback Church at this conference, I, I already told you about the dinner I led that had pastors from all over the world there from Brazil, from Russia, from uh, Peru, from Ecuador, from Colombia, from, gosh, help me, Amber, from all over the world, Germany, all over the world. And I hosted this dinner for these pastors. And then I hosted a couple of lunches. And then I did a breakout session. We're talking about helping churches. And y'all, I was literally approached by hundreds of pastors saying, Pastor Scott, will you help us? I can't do it. I can't. But we can. We can. And I need many of you to say, I want to be trained. I want to be a coach. You say, well, I'm not a pastor. Good. You make better coaches. I don't have to undo the dysfunction in you. Are you willing? All right, I'm going to say something else going to hurt your head right now. I was approached by four guys, four guys, wearing these collars that had a white thing in the middle of them. You know what they were? Catholic priests. And do you know what they said to me? Pastor Scott, will you coach us to help the Catholic church become a building lives church? What? So you know what I said? Sure. And maybe they'll get saved if they're not already. And maybe they could turn the Catholic church. You know, I think the first reformation divided us. The second reformation may reunite us. How awesome for Catholics to preach relationship with King Jesus. How awesome for them to make disciples. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah. Now, it gets a little better. Let me tell you the rest of the story. Two of them are from New York. They're going to come to Wimberley and spend a few days with us here in Wimberley. So if you see me at Creekside Cookers with some priests, you know what I'm up to, all right? <laughs> Two of them 
were from Lyon, France. They said, Pastor Scott, would you come to French? Parlez-vous de Francais? Oui, oui. Of course, Tara said, you go to France, I'm going with you. And Amber says, I'm your assistant. I have to go too. We have a mission team right there. Could you believe that God would use a little tiny church in the middle of nowhere, Texas for his glory? Wow. You know what? It's not the size of the church that matters to God. It's the health of the church. God uses healthy churches. Do you know every time I go to the doctor, he doesn't go, wow, you've gotten so big. No. <laughs> Celebrates my health. And that's what God wants us to be, to literally be the hope of the world. So what now? Over the next three weeks, we're going to look for solutions and responses. This is what I ask you to do. Ask you to pray. Asking God to crack it up in your heart to look inside you and for you to see and see spiritual opportunities. To see everything around you, the needs around you, and meet those needs. Don't wait for permission. Just do it. Be one of the 50. Step up. We're working on a ministry strategy to really take over the world. This uh, award we've got lacks that one for Cuba. We're going to get that. And then who knows what, what God's going to do us with South Africa. Who knows? The country of Nigeria keeps aggravating me. I don't want to go to Nigeria. I don't. I mean, Dripping Springs is far enough for me. <laughs> but think about this, y'all. God wants to do something in our days. You have permission. May it be said of us, all for Jesus. May it echo in our hearts and in our hallways until eternity is closed. All for Jesus. Then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you fed me and I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then the righteous will reply, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and gave you something to drink? Or stranger and showed you hospitality? Or naked and gave you clothing? Whenever we see you sick or in prison and visit you, and the king will say, I tell you the truth, when you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it for me. You were doing it for me. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the power and the truth of your word. And I pray, oh God, that we will not be the same, that we will be moved to the steps of action to display your compassion because you've changed us and given us your authority. And God, I pray that we will make decisions now, commitments now that shape us forever.